0: For four weeks in a row, we've been trying to learn about the treasure which God has chosen to put within those who are seeking to know Jesus. Uh, and, And I don't know where you are, but I assume in some measure you're here because you want to move forward in faith. And wherever you are in that process, the truth, which is a magnificent truth, which we've been dwelling on, is that God chooses to dwell within those who are opening their hearts to him. Uh, We'll continue on that path this morning. Before I get into this morning's message, I actually want to give a review of where we've been. Uh, This is if you're here for the first time or a review if you've been here. I think this will help us grasp more firmly what we've been learning about. Many generations ago, uh, there was a prophet named Ezekiel who had his eyes open to see what was going on in the world. And he saw that the people were languishing in spiritual poverty. God's people were not being the light that they were called to be in justice and love for all. They were mean. And so God made a promise through Ezekiel that he would come and change those people from the inside out by giving them a new heart, by removing the heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh, and then giving them a new spirit, and he would put his own spirit within them. And this would be the way that they would become a light in the darkness. Uh, Jesus arrived and made an, uh, an outrageous promise to the disciples along these lines that even though he was departing, they would not be without him because he would put his own spirit within them. He called, he called it a paraclete. He said, I will call one alongside, and, and he will be with you wherever you go, even though I'm going. He was talking about God himself. The triune God has promised to dwell within us. That is mind-blowing. Jesus says this one will be an advocate for us. Uh, he will be a consoler and a helper to us in every way that we need help but can't receive it ourselves. Okay. We started learning about the help specifically that the Spirit gives when we, we thought about this truth that God is in us to both to help us to will and to work for his good pleasure. In those moments when you're inspired to do what's right, do you have those moments in your life? Some of you, yes or no? You see something's wrong in the world and you want to see it change and your heart matches with God's heart. That's the Spirit in you. And you don't have the power to do it on your own, but God's spirit is within us also to enable us to work for his good pleasure. And that's a gift of the spirit. That's a treasure that God has put in you. Now, the moment you try to do what's right and do the wrong thing, do you beat yourself up? No, you don't, you should. (laughs) You have a conscience in which your heart tells you that's not right, I shouldn't have done that. That also is the gift of the spirit. We learned that last week. That the spirit is within us not to condemn us, because Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save it, but rather to convict us so we stop going in the wrong way and turn back onto the right path. And then when we do that, we receive the gracious forgiveness of God. His love washes over us and makes us brand new altogether so we can get going yet again. That's where we've been in these last four weeks. So where are we going together? What's God's plan? That's the question this morning. And by the way, We might not often think of it in these terms, but where we're going and God's plan and our part of it is also a question about the treasure that's in us, the Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning under three simple headings. God's plan. God's plan through and through has to do with the Spirit. Our part in God's plan, that's the second thing. And that also has to do with the Spirit. And by the way, wherever you are in faith, God means to invite you into His plan. And then lastly, the power uh, for that plan is, is the, the Spirit's power. And those are the three headings that we're going to understand this morning. Another way in which the Spirit helps us move forward. Before we begin to look at the scriptures, if you need a seat, there's two seats up here, three seats up here, all right? Right next to Jared Ott. He is, he's even better when you're sitting next to him. Anybody? All right. <laughs> I don't. Okay, I, I see folks standing in the back. Let's get into the scriptures. The book of Acts is going to be the place where we take our uh, start this morning. Uh, if you know the scriptures well, you know that there are four gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those tell the story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The book of Acts picks up Luke's first volume and takes it forward beyond the, the time when Jesus died and then rose again. And the action in that book begins in the city of Jerusalem where the disciples together are wondering, what is God's plan now? Uh, They're trying to figure out what's next. They've had a remarkable experience, and now they want to know what's next. And by the way, that should be true of every person who's working at faith is each day you should be saying, okay, what's next? Uh, That's the adventure that God invites us on. And in this moment when they're trying to figure out what's next, Jesus appears to them with a promise. And here it is. This is Acts 1.8. It was for them and for us too. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, in this promise of Jesus, we have an indication of God's plan for his church. Uh, we have an image for followers so that they can understand their part in God's plan. And then finally, we have a, a pointer directing us to the power which will enable the, the entire process. All three of them in this one statement, let's start with God's plan. In the geographical Uh, regions which Jesus names here, we have a clear indication of the nature of God's plan. Uh, Notice, first Jerusalem, that's the city in which Jesus says these words to the disciples. Here's where it starts. And then Judea and Samaria, those are the regions that are further out from Jerusalem, which comprise all of the villages and the cities like Jerusalem, but in a much wider range And then finally, to the ends of the earth. For the disciples, that would have been the places which they'd only heard of in stories or which existed in their imaginations. And by directing those folks who were wondering what's next, by naming these places, Jesus means to indicate this about God's plan. God's plan is for consistent and regular expansion. Not for everything to remain here, but rather for everything to go from this place where something great is happening, where something life-changing has occurred, for, for that to spread out a little further, and then from there, a little further still, and then yet again, onward so that Jesus is teaching his first followers right at the start of this new mission that the continued expansion and growth of this movement is what his plan involves. And the simple fact of this outward momentum needs to be grasped by them at this moment because already they are beginning to believe that now that it's happened for them, God's plan is just about to end and they'll be right at the center of something which is special for them and not for everybody else out there. Do you know that impulse in you? Do you or not? When you discover a new band and you love them, you're like, this is my band. And then you find out they're more popular and you don't like them anymore. Does that happen to anybody else? Yeah, or you come into a new place and it's yours and they welcome you in. But then as soon as you've been welcomed in, someone else comes in. Hey, not them, that's just for me. See, already in the disciples' mind, They had envisioned that now that Jesus has come and and risen from the dead, maybe the long hope that we've had, which is that God will establish his kingdom here in Jerusalem through the Messiah. Maybe it's finally going to happen and the kingdom will be established right here. And by the way, we'll be on his right and his left. We'll be the ones of prominence. Do some of you know that story where the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, when you establish your kingdom, is it okay if we're like ruling right beside you? Not that we want any prominence or anything. What do you say? Do you know that story? So so listen, in the disciples is an impulse when something good happens to want to keep it for themselves. And in every church there will be an impulse when something good is happening to keep it for ourselves. And that's not the work of God's Spirit in us. And what happened for the disciples, let's be very clear about this, what happened for them is they met face-to-face God with us that in Christ, God was there reconciling the world to himself out of grace. The disciples, just like every other human being in human history, was running away from God to their own destruction. And instead of saying, go on, God came in Christ and humbled himself, being found in the form of a baby, born in a stable. He became an ordinary person to pursue in love, out of pure benevolence, every person who had ever run from him. And not to scold or correct, but rather to embrace and love. And that happened for the disciples, and it changed everything for them. And now they were together saying, what's next? And Jesus knew that the impulse in them would be, let's keep it for ourselves. But here he comes at the very start of the history of what happened after Jesus arose from the dead to say very clearly to them and to us, the plan is not to stay put, but rather to go out. Do you see it? And what it means for you, please listen now, is that the moment you start to trust in faith, what you should expect is God's gonna wanna open your eyes to the Jerusalem that you find yourself in so that you can be a part of His plan right there. And then once that begins to happen, maybe a little further out in Judea and Samaria, wherever that is for you, and then maybe even to the ends of the earth, which means there's nothing too big for you to imagine when it comes to your sense of what might God be inviting me to. Let's start with Jerusalem. Fathers, your sons are your Jerusalem. Your daughters are your Jerusalem. And if God has been stirring in your heart, here even, so that you're beginning to see something awaken in you, like a little fire starting to burn, what he wants is for you to let that fire spread to your children. And that's your Jerusalem. Or friends... Uh, Maybe you've begun to grow in some courage. you've, You've begun to let go of the old image that the world told you you're supposed to have for yourself and you've let that go and said, no, I'm a beloved child of God and that's what God's doing in you right here and now there's other people all around you who think they are what everyone else says they are but you know and so your Jerusalem is to be around them in a way that they begin to believe that God loves them too. Do you see it? Or it's your coworker who started to open up to you about how toxic his his relationship with his fiance has become and he's utterly hopeless and he told you this and you have hope in you because of the gospel. That's your Jerusalem. Do you see it? If none of these are you, please try to envision your Jerusalem because God's plan is for the spark, for the flame that is beginning to burn in you to spread out a bit. Are you tired of the darkness in Judea and Samaria around us? Yes or no? Right, so this is God's plan. You have some light. Go let it shine. If there's something wrong in the world that you you know is wrong deep down because the spirit has let you know it's wrong, don't be okay with it, fight. That's your Samaria, and, your, and, and, and we should ask this question for ourselves as a church. What is the plan that God has for us as we continue to expand and head out? Can you tell that God's doing some things here which are causing the mission to expand? Can you tell that or not? You're like, I, do, I don't like coming to church and sitting next to somebody, but I have to. <laughs> and the front row, that's the worst row, right? But here you are. Can I tell you, listen, can I tell you that what I get to see which I wish you could see also, is not only that there are more people, but the way that God is developing depth in the hearts of the people who are coming here. When you send me an email describing how God's moving in you, or when you, even when you talk about loss and how hard it is, and you're honest. Or when you're looking for a person to connect so that, that your experience and where you lived can help them know God. Or when you're advocating for your child, And you do this with me, by the way. I get to see God is doing great things and I love it. And he does not want it to stay here. That's God's plan. Now, how how will we have a part in it? That's the second question, our part. And Jesus says in Acts 1.8, he gives an image, which is meant to form our understanding of ourselves so we can see our part. And it's when Jesus says this, look again. You will be my witnesses, Okay, they wanted to be the the guys who had all the prominence and could just settle down in the new kingdom and just be in charge. And Jesus says, that's not what you're gonna be. You're gonna be my witnesses. Now, witness is a a word, first of all, that is at home in the courtroom. Uh, When it was used here, the Greek word is martyr. You know the word martyr, right? Someone who dies for their faith. And, And that doesn't quite take us in the right direction. If we could just think of it as the person who's in court because, follow me here, they were an eyewitness of something that happened, which the people on the jury and the judge didn't get to see. And the only way they can have a picture of what actually occurred is if someone else who saw it is brought in and they give reliable testimony so the others can know the truth about what has been seen, which they haven't seen, but they need to. That's what a witness is. And now when Jesus tells his gathering there who are asking what's next, and they're beginning to hear, okay, we're gonna have to go out, what's our part? He tells them, you're gonna be my witnesses. Notice he doesn't say you're gonna go out witnessing. It's different. He's not telling them what they're gonna do He's telling them who they're going to be from now on, and what he means by that. Listen now: is that wherever they go, when people look at them, what they ought to see is reliable information about what they have not experienced. The others have not experienced firsthand, but rather these disciples have. That is, Jesus is saying to them in two senses: you are going to be my witnesses. On the one hand, you were witnesses of what I did. You saw the love in my eyes when I looked at you. You saw the acceptance that I extended to you that no one else would give. You saw the way I crossed boundaries to love other people. You saw the way that I held others in their doubt. You know that I am with you even in the bleakest hours. You know that you can be hopeless for years in the dark and cry out and hear no answer, but I'm still there. You know that even when it gets harder and you thought I could never go if it got harder, that I was there to sustain you and and you still went further. You know that. That's what Jesus is telling to them. In a sense, he's saying, you've Been a witness of these things. You've seen it. And now he's telling them, now go out in the world and show it. Go out in the world and live differently in light of what you've seen in me. And that is how you're going to have your part in my plan. To go out differently because of the way that Jesus has changed you. And that will be something that others see. Now listen, we know that historically this is exactly how the early christian movement got traction and then actually exploded in an empire in the first century that was so hostile to jesus and everything that he stood for that we cannot even imagine it uh, have you ever thought wow you know nowadays christians have it really hard in our country we're persecuted have you heard someone say that what we experience is absolutely nothing compared to what happened in the first century and yet the Christian movement spread so much that here in 2019, we're able to sit together and learn and talk about Jesus, our Savior. And the reason for that, listen now, was the witness of ordinary women and men who lived differently in the first century in such a way that other people saw it and were inspired to know, why are you like that? And in in high school, and in graduate school, and in work, uh, wherever you are, This is your part. Uh, Let me tell you some of the things that the early Christians did. They were kind to their detractors. Instead of responding to cruelty with cruelty, they responded with grace. And what happened is their enemies were turned into friends. Do you think we have any opportunities for that nowadays? They cared for the vulnerable in society who couldn't take care of themselves. When a woman's husband died and she became a widow, she was forgotten. That's what happened in the first century. But not with these people who followed Jesus. They went to her and they brought her into their home. They invited her to sit at their dinner table with them. They celebrated holidays together. They treated her as if she was kindred. The same thing happened with orphans. The Christians would go out and find children who didn't have parents to care for them and bring them in and love them as if they were their own. And nobody, nobody did that in the first century. And other people saw and wondered why. In the first century, it was common when a a family had another baby and they didn't want that baby to do what was called exposing the child. That was a completely acceptable social phenomenon. You left the baby in a field to die. And on any day, in any village, you could walk and see a child being exposed. And everybody accepted that, except for the followers of Jesus. They would go out and pick up that baby and bring it home as if it were their own. And other people saw it. And when they saw it, they said, what is behind that kind of selflessness? Why are they so kind? How how, how come they're so generous? And the answer was, they were witnesses to Jesus. And that is what our part is in the plan of God. I hope you see it. Do you see it? And, and what I hope for and what I expect because of what I believe about the Spirit of God is that already in your heart, there are some inclinations to maybe move differently tomorrow morning or this afternoon when you get home because of what the Spirit is stirring in you. Are you feeling that a little bit? You know, this is a pretty inspirational atmosphere, right? And I've got the best outfit I could manage on this morning, and so you're like, Yeah, I think I get this. But but do you have the power to do it? I want to tell you this. On your own, you don't. And at the same time, I'll say you have absolutely everything you need to do it. Both of those things are true. You don't have what it takes to be a witness. And God has given you everything required to be a witness. Both of those are true. And so I wanna free you from the anxiety of thinking, I guess I'm supposed to try harder than I've ever tried or figure out the secrets that this pastor seems to know about how I'm gonna do this. No, none of those things are true. You, you don't have to do that. And, and then I wanna also tell you that God has given you exactly what you need to play your part in his plan, to be his witness. And that's also in what Jesus said in the single statement. When Jesus said, look again at it, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Jesus' way of describing the Spirit's power, which is for you and is, is able to give you exactly what you need to play your part in God's plan, whatever that part is, as the witness that you uniquely are called to be. Let's talk about that word power. Uh, the Greek word is dunamis. Okay, that's the word from which our English word dynamic is derived. We often use that word uh, as an adjective, a very dynamic person. Here it's a noun. And before being uh, an adjective, it's a noun. And it's a noun which means, strictly speaking, uh, I wanna make sure I get this right. Uh, It's a noun which means, in my fifth page of notes, the force that stimulates change or progress within a system or process. The dynamic, first of all, is the capacity for change. Without the dynamic in any closed system, nothing changes. Without dunamis, within a process, nothing happens at all. And here, Jesus is promising everyone who will trust him and accept his invitation into this process, he's promising them the power required to make it happen. Think of a closed system which requires a dynamic in order to work. Imagine uh, a sailboat. It's out on the open water. It has uh, all of the equipment required. It has a mast. It has its sails. They're hoisted up. It's got a rudder to steer and direct that vessel on the open water. What's the dynamic in this process? It's the wind. Thank you. It's the wind, not the motor. This is a sailboat. It's the wind, (laughs) which is, in fact, the wind is the motor. Without the wind, nothing happens. That's the dynamic. But with the wind, everything that needs to happen can happen. But listen, only when the captain of that vessel is ready to trim the sails and direct the boat in the way which the wind is going to enable it to go. And that is how it is with you and the Spirit The power required, the dynamic for you to go to that place to be that witness in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth if that's where God's leading you. That power is 100% yours in faith because God promised to provide it. And we know, by the way, that he makes good on this promise in a very direct way if we would read beyond the first chapter of Acts. Just 50 days after Passover, all of those believers, there's more than 100 men and women together right in the city of Jerusalem. They're waiting for the plan to begin to unfold when a wind comes rushing into the place where they're gathered. Tongues as a fire rest on their heads. They are completely filled with the spirit just as Jesus had promised. And then they immediately become witnesses. Do some of you know that story? It's amazing. Because of the timing, people from 15 different dialects are all in the city at once. And then these people start speaking with speech which they didn't ordinarily have. And it's not just sort of mumble jumble. Rather, every person hears in their own language what they're saying, which means the Spirit enabled them to say what could be heard by every person. And what they talked about was the mighty acts of God. And can I say in one word what the mighty act of God is? Love. That's it. Love, that's what Jesus said, love, that's it. That's what the world needs. The world needs to hear and to see through your way of being that God is love and that he so loved the world that he sent his only son to save the world rather than to come to condemn it, but rather to rescue, not just a few people who believe right, but the world. And that's the gospel. And what God wants is for that love to go out as you bear his love out into the world. How? As his witness empowered by his spirit. Maybe it will be with a giant smile on your face. Maybe it will be with tears in your eyes as you talk about the death of your brother. Maybe it will be as you say, I can't manage this on my own and I need help. The Spirit might empower you to do that and that's a good witness, don't you think? Or maybe it's, it's the, the Spirit will empower you to say, I'm lonely and I come here every week and I still haven't connected. Someone invite me over to dinner. Does it feel odd to say that? Okay, if, if here. If someone said that to you and you would invite them to your house for dinner, would you raise your hand? Do you know that loneliness is one of the worst things in our culture and we all think we're the only ones who are feeling it and we're afraid to ask? Ask. Maybe that's what the Spirit will empower you to do. What I know, and I absolutely know this, is that God's plan for this community is that we should be a church which is expanding in our influence, not of ourselves, but rather as witnesses of the grace and love and mercy of God. And the way that we're going to do that is by receiving the power that he's already given to us, which is the power of his own presence within us. And so there's nothing that he can't lead us to do. And you, every one of you, are invited to be on that road with us. All of you. There's no one who's too young, and there's no one who's too old. All of us are invited together into that process. How precisely will this work? And here, I want to give you as clearly as I can the kind of practical guidance which will make this not only into something inspiring, but rather something practical. So how will you leave here, with this help of the Spirit, to be a witness? Wherever you are, how will that happen? Here, this is as practical as I can get. First, you have to keep in mind that between you and the spirit within you, there exists something like a true partnership of unequals. That's the truth. You're not capable. God is completely capable. And God has chosen to enter into a partnership with the mess that you are so that, listen now, sorry, was that offensive? Sorry. So that, the Spirit gives power while leaving you in the position of responsibility for your witness. That's the partnership. And it's true for me too. I, I, I have my own mess. I have my own uh, faulty... Uh, person in many ways, but what I have is a promise that the Spirit gives me power while enabling me to remain responsible for my witness. This kind of cooperation uh, is such that God will do his part, which you cannot do, that's his power, but God will not do the part that he's chosen to make you responsible for, and that's your witness. And by the way, anyone who moves forward in this and actually is a witness will find the delight that comes with doing what God made her to do. Has anyone experienced it? It's surprising. You're afraid. You don't want to do it. Then you make one little step and you think that was amazing and then you're afraid again tomorrow. That's how it works. So what you need is these three and this is as, as very sort of concrete as I can become and, and, and I want you to take this because I want you to be a witness because you, you will thrive and the world will benefit and we will grow. That's what I want. First, you have to practice listening. That's the first thing I'm saying to you and, and by the way, I don't say this lightly, that you come here week after week and you listen as I talk is to me an incredible gift to me and inspiring because I think that's what God wants to use as you're listening. So um, without sounding trite, way to go. It's such a gift. But, but practice listening each day maybe by putting your phone away and don't take it with you and go out on a walk alone. And while you walk, say, Spirit, speak. Your servant is listening. And then as your mind begins to race, say it again. And then as your mind keeps racing, try for one hour. And, and in my own experience, and my mind can race, let me tell you. In my own experience, after about 20 or 30 minutes of racing mind, then when I say something like, God, what do you want to say that I need to hear? Every time I hear something good like this, Christian, trust me. And then, and then it's like a weight is lifted off my chest. A Christian, whether you do good Uh, on Sunday, or not so good, I like you. That's the thing that God says. Do you know that God likes you? You need to listen. That's the first thing. It's to practice listening, to take time. And without that, the likelihood that you'll be sensitive to the whisper of the Spirit over the wishes of your heart, which are often misguided, is very, very low. to distinguish the whisper of the Spirit from your own drives, takes time. That's number one practice of studying. Here's a second thing. You've got got to learn, you've got to learn God's Word. This is the reason why for the last uh, four weeks behind and for the next weeks ahead, I've taken this time each morning, Monday through Friday, to put in those texts that many of you are receiving, not just some thoughts, but rather some of God's Word to you. Because you must learn it. You must take it into your heart. Because there's a voice in you that says, you got it wrong again, and therefore you're useless, and God will never have anything to do with you from now on. But then you need to put the word of God in your heart, which says, when we are faithful to confess our sins, he is trustworthy to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You need that. And, and, and you need to keep growing at it. And by the way, if you think, gosh, I'm so far behind. I don't hardly know the Bible at all. I've been working at learning the Bible now for, for almost 30 years, and every day I think, my gosh, I have so much more to learn. But that's number two. You gotta learn God's word. And then here's the third thing. And without this third thing, those first two aren't what they're meant to be. You have got to go for it. That's what you have to do. It's good to listen And it's good to know those words, but they're meant to move you forward. And you've got to do it. You've got to stop studying forever as a way of avoiding moving forward in the way that God has made it clear enough to you that you already need to go. You've got to... You've got to say uh, amen and then move forward. Amen means so be it. And so you say, "God, give me the courage to be brave." Amen. Then go for it and do it. Here to put it in terms of the sailboat. You've got to untie the boat from the mooring and push away from the dock and get out onto the open water because the wind is blowing. It's there. It will always be there because God's promised such, and you need to hoist the sails and grab a hold of the rudder and trim those sails so that the water will dr- the wind will draw you in the direction that God means for you to go, and that's what you need to to do, and we need to do that together as God's community, which is being formed, which is being equipped, which has been given a witness, and then which has all of the power, the dynamic, the dunamis that it needs in order to be what God wants it to be in this world, which desperately needs it. Where? In our Jerusalem, in our Judea, and our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, if that's where God sends Renaissance Church. But that is the adventure that we are invited on, to have our part in God's plan by His power. What do you say? All right. I like that. (laughs) Let's pray together and ask God to to, uh, move us forward. God, we love you. Uh, We love you for the gift of your spirit, uh, which assures us that we are yours when we doubt it, which endows us with every gift, which enables us to cry out from our hearts, Abba Father, because you have made us your own sons and daughters because we are beloved to you in a way that we can't even imagine. We thank you for that. God, would you make us witnesses of that truth again with our eyes wide open to your grace? Would we see it and see it in such a way that we are transformed? And then would you give us the courage and the resolve to go for it, to move out from what we've seen so that we can become people who show others? And then we ask very simply that you would use us uh, in those places where we find ourselves day in and day out, and those places to which we have to move in courage, even to the ends of the earth. And we ask simply that you would uh, help us be aware of this power, help us learn to listen and know your word so that we can, in fact, be courageous and move forward. And we ask for this, not for our sake, but for the sake of your great name, which is a name which needs to be known, the name above all names, the King of love, our shepherd is. Thank you for your grace and for this time together with these brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.